0: Susie, I'm so excited to welcome you back today. I love that in our conversation we had just a moment ago, you got excited about something you heard on NPR. And this whole episode, we're going to dedicate to the excitement and the energy and all the efforts that you have put in politically in midwifery and otherwise. First, let's hear what got your blood boiling this morning.
1: (laughs) Well, um... This morning, as I'm drinking my cup of coffee, I was listening to NPR, which is kind of a morning ritual, and heard a story um, about the shortage and need for more black OBGYNs, that black women are want a black care provider during their pregnancy. And all of the ways that black women experience racism in all of its shades, both subtle and overt, um, in particular, well not in particular, but that it's so, it's so deeply felt when you're in you know, the, the vulnerable time of your life of, of growing a baby and birthing a baby. Okay, that, that's nothing new, right? I mean, certainly nothing new to me or to you, and I think to probably to many of our listeners. But it triggers, every time I hear a story like that, what it triggers for me is, excuse me, but how about midwives? Midwives are the appropriate care provider for the vast majority of pregnant people. And once again, this is a missed opportunity to talk about that. <laughs> and not only are do we need, you know, a bigger midwifery workforce, but we especially need a workforce that includes Many, many more Black midwives, in particular, but all midwives of color, because our profession is overwhelmingly white. Um, I'm I'm not exactly sure. I think it's probably more overwhelmingly white than 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 the medical profession, but I don't have stats on that, so I'm not quite sure about that. But suffice it to say, we are we do not have the diversified workforce that our culture, our country, our population deserves. I sat down right then and there and just finished it and wrote a, I've, it took me a long time to find where on the NPR website <laughs> I could submit a comment on a story that I heard, but I found it and I just sent it off. So we'll see if there's any response. But what I what I wanted to um, point them to, if the, if the powers that be at NPR actually read my comment, is that our National Association of Certified Professional Midwives are has been working for years on a bill um, to partially address the need for more resources to train and, and educate um, a midwifery workforce that's more diversified. It's the, the Moms uh, Act. Um, now I'm gonna I'm gonna mash it up, but um, NACPM has been um, really um, doing uh, very impressive, in my estimation, advocacy work on the policy front. For I mean that's one of the you know highlights of our national association, in my opinion. Um, so full disclaimer: I was on the board of NACPM for um, more than a decade, and I served as president of the board for a couple of years. So. It's not without um, deep respect and um, investment in that particular organization that I say that. But I I do think that um, the policy work is, is one of the most important things that we as midwives can be engaged in. And to look at midwifery
0: and the journey, if we consider the fact that prior to jumping into the hospital, the proportions were much more representative of who was showing up to serve as birth, birth care providers. And the need to return back to that and return midwifery to its appropriate place of being first line providers is so important. It's almost there's that aspect of rectifying the wrong that was done to discredit and there were many midwives were black midwives at that time when this discrediting campaign came into view and it's in my view long overdue for us to reclaim the territory and let people know that we want providers again representative of all our culture all the diversity that we have so good good for you and good for us to stand up and make our points and I for one, I'm gonna go back listen to that NPR story and add my voice to the choir and that's what I'm hoping everybody gets prompted to do as we begin to listen to this journey that you're gonna take us on of political involvement
1: <laughs> okay um, I wanna give um another plug, if I can, to another podcast that is hosted by a colleague and friend of mine, Shirley McAlpine, called She's Got Drive, and Shirley is a um, black leader, and her podcast is focused on um, black women who are doing amazing and awesome work in the world. And she recently recorded a conversation with our two, uh, the president and vice president, presently, of NACPM, um, Tanya Kemet Tao and uh, Keisha Good, um, who are two black leaders, and their discussion about the urgent need for black midwives and the contribution that black midwives have made historically and presently um, so I, I think our listeners if anybody's listening I, I would I would urge you to um, tune in you know download Shirley's uh, podcast she's got drive and listen to that episode I'm sure you can find it um, on her website it was a really potent conversation um, so rich and um, I just loved it anyway well, I'll do it one
0: step further. I will get in touch with Shirley McAlpine and see if she can't actually join us right here and bring a lot of that fire to us as okay. well. And yeah. I thank you for, for pointing that out. But I will okay. encourage everyone to do that. I will certainly be checking that out. So okay. thank you. Thank you for that plug.
1: Yeah. 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 So where to begin? I mean, I guess I'll just start by saying that I have always felt um, that midwifery is and well beyond midwifery that um, that maternity care is a public health issue and I in fairly early in my own development as a midwife, I had the opportunity to get a master's in public health um, and it really was an opportunity. I was um, actually, Uh, encouraged to apply to the University of Washington's brand new maternal child health program housed within the School of Public Health. Um, It had just started in, uh, I think, 1984, 1985. I joined the class, their second cohort in 1986, and it was fully funded by the federal government, um, and it was targeted, the MCH program was targeted at maternity care providers, and I was the first and only midwife at that point, Um, you know, it was only the second cohort, but most of the people who were my classmates were physicians and nurses. Um, But there was a federal grant to provide for this training in public health, and I was actually, not only was my tuition covered and my books, but I had a stipend to go to graduate school. Can you imagine?
0: That's awesome.
1: Bring <laughs> back the good old days. I mean, this is this is a, a matter of you know political priority, and we could we can certainly make it a priority to train up you know a healthcare workforce that we need if we have the political will to do that. Um, I just say that as an obvious <laughs> fact, but you know, I I look back and think. Uh, you know, so many students I've known over the years who, you know, finished their, their midwifery education with this crushing debt. And I not only didn't have any debt, but I actually had a little money in the bank to, you know, pay my bills while I was a graduate student. It's just amazing. But at any rate, that um, foundation in, you know, l- looking at the big picture, not not... Not the one-on-one relationship that one has in clinical practice, but the impact that um, policy has, that you know, um, that looking at epidemiological um, data has. It was just so expansive for me, so and it gave me tools um, and a new kind of lens with which to look at my work as a midwife. It was really. Um, and it and it I, it changed everything for me it really did
0: you know both in our prior episode and in this episode there was a level of of collaboration with the department of health that is something that i go that's so beautiful but it feels like there's been a missing in that and a and a loss of that that feeling collaborative effort I don't know if that's just because I'm much later on the scene and just watching the dynamics of how the the relationship is between midwifery and the Department of Health how the the way the supervision is assigned and the lack of representation of midwifery in the actual workings of midwifery so I ask what what are your thoughts on how did this happen number one and how do we get it back on track number two well i'm
1: not sure um yeah i'm not sure that it's a straight line or that you can you know it i guess the way i think about it is you know one step forward two steps back or some something like that but you know there this is an interesting conversation i think that there may be many midwives who feel like we're never going to be part of the system so why you know keep bashing your head against a brick wall when you're never going to get you know the recognition you seek and who cares anyway we can be outside the system and be just as effective and that's a, that's a worthy debate. I I welcome that kind of conversation with colleagues. Um but I take a different point of view and I I really do think that the effort is is important and worth it to gain a bigger piece of the, the you know the healthcare pie if you will. Because it's all about, I mean, I've always said this. I've said this to students, and I've said this to clients, and I've said this, you know, in big forms and small forms. It's not about making the lives of midwives better. It's about making the lives of our communities better. You know, that improving the health of our communities is intricately tied to better maternity care. And for heaven's sakes, if we need any more studies to tell us that our maternity care system is dreadful, please, we don't need another study. We know how bad it is, don't we?
0: We absolutely and, do.
1: And if we don't know then we' are, you know we our head is in the sand, you know we're not paying attention. and it's tragic. I mean, literally people and their babies are dying. I mean it's not I'm not being hyperbolic here. People are dying who don't need to die and it is unconscionable in a country as wealthy as ours you know i mean i spent a lot of time in my in my educating midwives um in professional issues kind of discussions and courses that i taught um that do some comparison i mean this is another thing that i think americans are uniquely myopic that we don't really look beyond our own world to see that we're the only country with our kind of you know, G GNP that that doesn't spend money on healthcare. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about the out-of-pocket money on healthcare. I'm talking about the public money on health right. healthcare that we don't provide this basic safety net of healthcare for everybody. Um, and our outcomes are, you know, show what you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're spending. In out-of-pocket expenses, we have this enormously glutted system spending way more money than anybody else on the planet is spending, and getting very little for it. <laughs> well, what we get for it is is high tech and Cadillac shiny care. We get um, amazing care in terms of intensive care and breakthroughs in um, you know treating rare rare things, but but primary care. Uh, No, no. Preventive care? No. And maternity care is preventive care, and it is primary care. And maternity care providers are primary care providers. So we talk about midwives being primary maternity care providers. This is like a basic resource every community needs and must have in order to ensure a healthy community. It's just basic. And we don't have it. And we need it, and I'm, I'm gonna fight for it till my dying breath. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yes. That notion that we can make something better by doing more of the same is also ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. So just like you were talking about the call in the NPR session this morning being for more obstetricians, mm-hmm. it's like. Yeah. Hello. If we right. were to alter this proportion of obstetricians to midwives, then we're going to be making some kind of exactly. Uh, exactly. We're going to, and you we're know, going to progress.
1: Yeah. Even I've I've heard some very um, eloquent, um, forward-thinking obstetricians echo exactly that. We obstetricians are retiring at a, uh, a pretty drastic rate, and not um kind of refilling the coffers not replacing themselves so there is um a workforce crisis in obstetrics so just let's how about we just shift the emphasis on training more midwives um to provide care for the 85 percent of pregnant people who would benefit from midwifery care who don't need a a specialist to follow them i mean you know if the analogy is why would you have a brain surgeon you know um take out a splinter. I mean that's pretty hyperbolic, but <laughs> you get the point.
0: <laughs> well exactly, exactly. If you have the appropriate provider for the care that is needed, what, what we are very present to is that when you don't, when you have people that are trained more in, the, in all of that technology, there's an impetus to use that technology. There's an impetus to involve more, more procedures into a picture that does not require that intervention. And, right. that, and that sets up, unfortunately, that cascade of things we're familiar with and we see. It's just that in terms of what the average American knows about birth and what we know about birth is from very polarly distinctive different positions. And so part of this effort is also focused on let's tell the truth about birth. Let's get the truth depicted in the media. Let's get truth spoken of on all the different platforms and by all the different people.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Building a midwifery workforce is not um, an easy task. I mean, mm. it has been, we have been thwarted and frustrated and um, on so many fronts. Um, but I do think it's, um, we're making progress. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, it, it. in my mind, one of the foundational elements is access to, for the client, to be able to access the midwife, requires that the midwife is recognized in the jurisdiction where he or she practices. So, or I should say they practice. And I think so, licensure, um, you know, in our country we have this, we have um, 50 plus jurisdictions. We have we have a federalist system where every state regulates and and Territory regulates health professions in its own sphere, so that makes it super complicated. It's there's not one federal way that we can solve this pr- problem. We have to do it on the local level. So, we have you know efforts that have been really strategic and really effective, and sometimes less so at the state level. Um, and when I say state, I mean to include also our. Territories, which some people would aptly call our colonies. So let's not have. We'll put that aside. But I, I just want to have give a shout out to my um, colleagues in Puerto Rico who are mm. um, on the ground working on exactly what I'm talking about: recognition for professional midwifery um, in their in their country, which is Puerto Rico. Anyway, um, so legislation um, to create and defend favorable licensing laws is a really vital function of the profession. And um, it's been, um, you know, in some state, We I think we now have um, licensure, well, certified nurse midwives, as you know, are licensed in all of our states and jurisdictions, mm-hmm. but my credential, the certified professional midwife, the CPM, has licensure. I believe we now have 34 states and counting. Um, I think Nevada has uh, something going on. I just heard New York State finally has some favorable opportunity. You know, so it's um, it's happening all the time. People are really, really working hard to achieve this basic, 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 basic. Um, function of a profession which is legal recognition in the jurisdiction where you practice outlawing midwifery having midwifery be criminalized is unacceptable it's absolutely unacceptable we can't tolerate that so and then with licensure of course then you then you have like the basic foundation on which to build other ways in which you know you support the profession which can provide appropriate care in your, you know, state and in your communities. And that includes Medicaid reimbursement. Fifty mm-hmm. percent of the births in the United States are paid for by the Medicaid program, which is a state-federal shared program. Now, of course, you know we have states that have um, really, really, really restrictive Medicaid Laws, mm-hmm. and we have other states like Washington State, which has a very expansive Medicaid program. So it's really different. But this is a—I mean, if you can't accept Medicaid as a source mm-hmm. of payment, you're you're cutting out fifty percent, and that fifty percent are more likely to be the people who need midwifery care the most, right? So absolutely, we absolutely have to have Medicaid reimbursement as a um you know part of our care package Mm -hmm. and with medicaid reimbursement usually the you know there's a there's a very uh synchronistic kind of relationship between the other payers the insurers and medicaid programs so when you get medicaid you also are likely to get other forms of reimbursement and that's an important just building block of having a midwifery workforce that can afford to be a midwife. I mean, you can't, this is not a volunteer position. This is not a hobby. This is hard work. And people need to be paid adequately and be able to pay for their housing, their childcare. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it deserves to be paid well. It does. (laughs) Not just adequately, but well.
0: Yes, that is Completely unacceptable to even to even ponder that thought that though there's only what did you say 34 states that it's legalized yeah. in yeah
1: and With licensed it doesn't I mean licensed be complicated because some states that don't have licensure statutes are vague about whether it's uh, a criminal act to practice without a license. You know it it really you have to look at like literally look at each state individually to see what the what the situation is but it still is not easy Uh, you're not going to get reimbursed you're not going to get adequately paid unless you're on the cash economy Mm -hmm. and that's who 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 does that serve you know people with you know disposable income Mm -hmm. it's not it's not average person (laughs) that can afford that kind of care right that there
0: is the rub there is the rub and then if you're talking about as you were before just being part of the community and the and the increase of health and well-being by the contribution of having a local midwife or a, a, a several local midwives yeah. it makes such a difference to the overall health and well-being and thriving of that community now we know this to be true and we have more of that opportunity here in Washington state because as you described the last episode that was heralded in right here in Washington state so this is that is really remarkable now i sit here and i am mindful and you have pointed out before as well there are midwives as you were saying that don't want to have the approval per se that they feel that that might be in in many ways not honoring that midwifery is midwifery and should not be overlooked or or watched over or monitored or taken care of by by more of the medical approach, so I'm mindful of that. They will appear uh-huh. on this program as well, you know, uh-huh. just for us to to have that representation. That in in the is part of what the, plagues us in having the uh-huh. unity of strength in not just that aspect, but as you said, nurse midwives uh-huh. were growing with the licensed midwives and the certified public mid- midwives professional uh-huh. excuse me certified yeah. professional midwives and that there was this growth together <clears throat> but that also seems to stray away a little bit and mm-hmm. so rather than having this joint uh effort, and there have been efforts for that i went to a a meeting it's been several years ago now how many years ago was that where we all met together uh to certified midwives, certified professional midwives, and we came together in, in I think it was in Washington, uh, Washington, D.C., not not here, to try to bridge those gaps, to try to come together in unison, to try to provide a unified front. So that's one effort that was many years ago that I was involved
1: in. Bring mm-hmm. me up to speed. Is there been others? What's going on? well there's been so many of those efforts and meetings and uh symposiums and debates and they will continue they just will that's the nature of you know um a professional discourse i think um what you know in in a in a if you ask me if i were you know designing the profession you know from scratch what would it look like it would be one profession not we wouldn't have something called nurse midwives and something called certified professional midwives we would have one profession that is you know unified in in terms of uh Um, vision and principles of practice and um, commitment to being, you know, family-centered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and and protecting normal physiologic birth and honoring cultural differences. But maybe midwives would specialize in in different sites of birth. I mean, to be a, a, a skilled home birth midwife is entirely different than being a skilled hospital-based midwife. You just need different skills. You need, basic skills are the same, but there are some specialized skills. I mean, when I had, in a moment of time, I had hospital privileges, um, which is a whole other story, and it, it, at a time when it was sort of a pilot program in Seattle, Washington, and we did have to, you know, acquire some skills we didn't have. like. How to, you, you know, electronic fetal monitoring, for instance, um, you know, running uh, IVs and anesthesia or whatever, working with a nursing staff that just didn't apply in an out-of-hospital setting. And in the same way, I think as a certified nurse, midwife, Roxanne, you will probably agree that in your training, which was, I, I would hazard a guess, was predominantly, if not exclusively, hospital-based you could not have finished your education and gone right into an out-of-hospital practice without some mentorship and training in the in the specialized skills of being an out-of-hospital uh, or home birth or a birth center midwife. Am I correct in that? Uh,
0: well, there were <laughs> thankfully some midwives in or some uh, core faculty that allowed me the opportunity to be outside the hospital as well as inside the hospital and that's a you that's not a common experience for the certified nurse midwifery pathway there are other yeah. other training institutions that recognize people that are wanting to initiate their own practice and that they are focused on community based that's frontier school of nurse midwifery yes. Yes. and those are that's where i thought i would be trained but I was living in Washington State, and that became an option. And I was excited to have the, the formal preparation be based in a university. At the time, I felt like it was more of an opportunity to grow in everything that I knew. I wish I knew a lot of the things that the frontier offered. And But I knew from the get-go that that I was not going to simply be Uh hospital-based. And I came uh out with the attitude, well, you've got to kind of establish yourself in the hospital so that you can move into being a community-based midwife. And I found it to be quite a struggle. I found it to be a struggle that I just was able to just say, I'm going to be a community-based midwife because that's where my heart belongs and Uh just stepped out away from it. It's very challenging having support in the professional organization because uh-huh. by and large, the professional organization is based in the hospital. And, yes. But your point of requiring different skills is, is truth. It w- uh-huh. I found it very challenging to hold sacred space for physiological birth in the hospital.
1: And, and I'll just say, as somebody who practiced out of the hospital for 32 years, it, you can create that sacred space. Oh, you yeah. can. It's harder, much harder. And that's what midwives can do. And they, I've seen it. I've seen it, and I've experienced it myself. And it's a, a really, really beautiful and important thing. So I honor my colleagues who practice in the hospital who pull it off every day. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. and uh, yes and please don't but misunderstand
0: me it's, 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 it's definitely yeah. doable and it definitely yeah. is it definitely is where the masses are currently however yeah. if, if midwifery was it now I have a question for you because I yeah. don't know the answer to this but it was coming to me as you were talking in a lot of the countries where midwives are first-line providers it, are there multiple pathways or is there predominantly one pathway
1: no there's predominantly one pathway and the sto- and the truth of the matter is inter- internationally most midwives are nurses but they're not called nurse midwives they're not called there's no such thing as a nurse midwife except in the United States that I'm aware of it's a it's a really uniquely uh, american phenomenon to call a midwife a nurse midwife and that was uh, in my Understanding historically, that was absolutely a political decision to, you know, uh, get some uh, measure of grace from the, you know, the powers that be, which are guess who? The medical doctors. Um, so I, I just think that it's a um, interesting phenomenon that nursing often is part of the training of a midwife, and I outside the United States, and I think that that has more to do with on um, how important it is for uh, a person to have this broader skill base because you are such an essential frontline worker as you call them, you know, like you, you need to do more than just deliver babies in many, in many places. So it's not, it, it makes sense to me. Um, whereas we, what we have always, how we have explained our education here in Washington State in advocating for our direct entry oh. midwifery without uh, nursing mm-hmm. is we teach essential nursing skills and we teach those nursing skills that you need to be a midwife, but we do have this constrained scope of practice. We are not doing um, yet, <laughs> maybe someday we'll be able to do a, a broader scope of what we call you know, well care for um People within the spectrum of um, care, but we don't have that scope now. Our scope as as midwives is pretty constrained to pregnancy and you know the after care. Um, so we teach nursing skills that we need to provide that care, but we're not right. nurses.
0: Right. Yeah, so the the system and the I've been I've been a little bit in both political camps because as I said, no no one place is is exactly where I fit. I felt like I was kind of like uh, I definitely loved Moz and I definitely <laughs> love which is Midwif- midwives of Washington State. Definitely <laughs> love my presence there, but I wasn't willing to give up my ACNM affiliate either. And uh, then went on to add to that warm, you know. And I see from all these different viewpoints, tenets of it that go, oh, well, you know, that's right. But the, but that, that seem to actually, in some cases, be mutually exclusive. And there's the rub. They should. There, there shouldn't. That it's not that it should or it shouldn't, but finding something that that's the purpose and the the gatherings that keep trying to happen is. Could we not come to the most common thread of the mission of what we're about about doing, and make it accessible? Because that accessibility is part of the main concern from an educational point point of view as well yeah. and yet yeah. honor all of the all of the the fact that midwifery is an ancient art if you would and the fact that it it occurs in a modern society and that it you know that that the training to have your recognition has been Based on certain hoops that you've gone through and the way that you've gone through them, so it's it's a it's complex, but it's really freaking
1: simple. Why can't we just get along? You know, why can't we just get along? Why can't well, we just do one that? way we get along is not bite each other in the butt. Exactly. And I'll, I'll give you some examples of what that looks like when you bite each other in the butt. In Another state, not not Washington State, the local ACNM chapter was um, uh, actively opposing a CPM licensure bill year after year. So there was no trust, no no bridge between the CPM community and the nurse midwifery community, and that is unnecessary. I mean, I, I think that's just really. Um, an example of what not to do <laughs> if you if you're really care about a, um, a thriving midwifery community y- you really want to build those bridges and work collaboratively not obstructing each other actively obstructing each other and that there's you know, I'm sure there's examples on the other side you know but I just throw that out because I know from talking to colleagues that you know when I talk about the um, unity between all midwives. So the, and then I hear these stories, yeah. Yeah, right. Easy for you to say, but there's no unity here and there's never gonna be unity here. I, I have to listen to those stories. So um, I think, you know, hopefully someday that will be the ancient history and we will have moved on. But I, I'm excited to see what, what the his what the history what the future <laughs> Um, Brings Because I think we have this whole other, you know, push from uh, younger student midwives um, who will be midwives in, you know, the blink of an eye. And what are they going to co-create? Who knows? Who knows? Hopefully they're going to, you know, be on the path of... um, Anti-racism and um, you know social justice as a core you know value in in midwifery practice. Um, that's certainly the theme song I'm hearing locally, and that's that's great. That's exactly that's encouraging to me. Um, I don't know, and I and I also think that um, you know the the broader opportunities. Um, you know, the more Uh, midwives, the more clients, and the more clients, the more there is this sort of um, network of conversation about a different kind of experience that's possible, and it it grows from there. And I think with with the support of um, appropriate reimbursement, you know, that's the piece that worries me the most Mm. at the moment. I really do feel like we are a long way from uh, the practice of midwifery being a viable uh, profession that one can support one's family adequately on. I think that really needs to be a focus of, of policy. Political so we'll see what the next generation accomplishes. And and I agree.
0: I do not have, I, I see the future as bright. I see the possibilities as very, 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 very much within reach. I just see that the conversations that we have and how we get them out to our communities as midwives and our communities with childbearing families and that, that having a more of a representation and a growing representation, and having the truth be told, and having all of these things is what's going to make a difference. It makes a difference. There clearly are 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 indications that that having more people understand, like even looking at the documentary that came out now, it's already been goodness. I don't even remember how many years, but. But the um, the business of being born, you know, because it kind of hit it kind of hit on a level of of raising awareness that that had that had not been played much before that. But a single voice of that is not enough, you know. We've had locally, we've had that um, the why why not home. We've had another couple other documentaries and things of that sort. And calling for more, calling for more, just calling yeah. for more and yeah. calling for that calling for having the conversations and and not yeah. hiding that that is what you're doing. But I don't want to say that that's hiding. I just for for families that are going counterculture and they're not counterculture in their life, they're not it, it, you very clearly began last last episode to say that this is not the hippie midwife state you know this yeah. is not what midwifery is based on and so it isn't that there's only this one little group of people that are our counterculture that want midwives that's so not true so and not true so not true <laughs>
1: you know, I, I loved I, I was um got had this great opportunity to meet the creator of the documentary you just mentioned why not home And um, we hosted her here and, and, and premiered, premiered the screened the the film to a pretty big audience here in Seattle. And, you know, her, so her slice of the story, which I thought was so brilliant because it had been in my head as well. Her story was she was a nurse practitioner who had a home birth. So the, the focus of her film is healthcare professionals who choose to have home birth and my experience, and I think you know about this experience, is many of the nurse midwives and even physicians I know chose to have midwifery care for their own pregnancies. Knowing what they, and this is what the, the film highlights, knowing what I know about what birth usually looks like in the hospital, I don't want that. That's not what I want for my own experience. So that was a pretty, I thought that was. It's a very effective message. These are people who are trained in, you know, all of the risks and benefits, and this is what they're choosing and why they're choosing it. So, I thought that was um, kind of elegant—an <laughs> elegant message.
0: It is. It's a profound. It's a profound it's It's a wonderful message. and it is what I find to be true as well. even even in the emergency realm, we have I have a lot of firefighters and EMTs and people along those lines that get to see things on both sides too. You know that 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 is a, there there is that, but we were talking there again about the people that have more resources. Yes, and yes, that absolutely. is that is a, that can be a big stopper. For and I agree with you wholeheartedly and then we know and spoke to that last episode of how the Department of Health discovered the savings from utilizing midwives and not just the savings financially but the improved outcomes and it would be so delightful to see more of those kinds of evidences being presented. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, and I do think, you know, I'm sure that I'm missing some um, uh, documentaries that um, are focusing on community based midwives in communities that are historically under, underserved and poor communities. I, I, I feel like, God, I wish I, I was a documentary filmmaker. Or, you know, that's where I'd love to see more work coming, you know, highlighting the uh, tremendous impact that community midwives are having and right now are having in those communities because mm-hmm. it's, it's there and it, those are stories that we need many 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 more of.
0: That's so true and that's what as we get word out as we have conversations more by and large then there will be inspiration to do mm-hmm. these things and to to really put forth that message and all the different social platforms and all the different platforms and that's that is one of the commitments of this this is why we meet here this is why we meet here is to make this conversation accessible and and spoken and so that people can resonate with that message they can get that they can say it is a it is a it is a of a health issue as it's a public health issue it's a public health issue to have people have access to the kind of care that shores them up in a preventive way that has them take the reins on and moving their health care forward their own health care forward we have of course um jenny in in florida who she mm-hmm. has been a diff- uh, a nurse midwife but really focused on making a difference in the in the lives of many well not just but also <laughs> in the black families but not just but just right. yes and we we do have spitfires and we do have you know things going on all over the country and bringing well, those together want, uh, Thank you for
1: mentioning Jenny Joseph who was yes. you know yes. uh, famous and, yes. <laughs> and 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 appropriately famous she is the director of the only black-led midwifery education program in the country at the moment um you know we have an accrediting agency the midwifery education accreditation council meek that accredits midwifery education programs and jenny has founded a midwifery school and they are now meek accredited and result and it's in florida and i just want to give them a shout out because jenny you know, is an example of what we want to replicate. Mm -hmm. I do think that Mm -hmm. the needs of Black, my own experience has informed me that the needs of Black student midwives are not being well met in white-dominated midwifery education programs. I mean, that's a pretty harsh thing to say, but I'm going to own it because I was a white director of a (laughs) midwifery education program, and I do, you know really want to support Jenny's um, school and also support the replication of models like Jenny's. I think it's vitally important. I I think we should house, we should start midwifery education programs in historically black colleges and universities. Wouldn't that be powerful? You know, and there's data about some um, historically black colleges that have produced an astounding proportion of students who who succeed in medical school. I mean, this is not not irrelevant. That I think that the education within, um, uh, you know, a black centric education environment is is provides the kind of support that we are, you know, just haven't been able to support have provide for a multitude of reasons. but I anyway, that's my my more this is what I think about um, now in my retirement, like you know, what what does it need to look like? What are the models that do actually work? Um, and not to say that we can't and shouldn't keep um, hammering away at providing educational opportunities that really are supportive and nurturing of our students of color we absolutely have to keep doing that absolutely. but we also need to support models that are proven to to provide that support
0: absolutely well the other the other the other aspect of this that is important to note is that Jenny Joseph was european trained
1: Yes, she's an English, she's English. Yes. <laughs> she was an English trained midwife. Yes. Yeah. And she told me, we've had this, we've talked about this. You know, she, she her story, I'll just give you this little snippet for our listeners. She um, fell in love with an American guy, you know, in London. I mean, they met in London and he, you know, they fell in love and he brought her back to Florida and here she's a professional midwife. She lands in Florida and she goes, What? my credential is not she wasn't a nurse midwife she's a direct entry trained midwife my credential is not recognized anyway i mean it it took a while but she did get licensed under florida does have a fairly reasonable licensing statute but i do think that she had that kind of aha moment upon landing in the u.s That this was like an entirely different landscape professionally um and she has really Put her, her, uh, her impact. I don't know how long she's been in the U.S. Probably 40 years or more. She's made an impact that that will uh, really benefit generations to come. It's really important what she's done.
0: It really is. It really is. Uh, It really. There. I
1: mean, her main program, and I do encourage listeners to look her up if they're not familiar. Is is the open access clinic? I mean, the the first time I heard Jenny speak at a conference, um, one thing she said was she stood up during some epidemiologists spouting off data about you know health inequities, and she stood up and she said, "We don't need any more data. We know we know what it looks like, and we know what works. Can we move on to to talking about what really, how we create you know answers like how we create programs that actually." impact those statistics that was one thing that i went oh i have to follow this woman and the other was a workshop in which she described her open access um the jenny way Mm -hmm. Um, and um it here's here's the basic gem of the jenny way it doesn't matter who catches the baby it really doesn't what matters is the care during the pregnancy that is going to have the most impact on keeping the baby inside until it's fat and juicy and not coming out too soon and having, you know, healthy outcomes for mamas. So this was another really aha moment for me because, you know, as a midwife, we think it's all about the birth, not so much, really. I mean, not that the birth is irrelevant, mm-hmm. but the care up to the birth is real. It's like the, that is the preventative care.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I credit Jenny Joseph in educating me like nobody else's business. I mean, it was, um, she's really taught me a lot. And people have been replicating her models all over the place. You know, let's provide um, open care to anybody who wants it in the midwifery model. And then we if they don't want to have an out-of-hospital birth, we follow them to the hospital. Or we provide their records to supportive Care providers in the hospital. Um, it's and it works. She has amazing outcomes.
0: When you did the pilot project of having privileges in the hospital,
1: now, yes, the it was they Providence Hospital was was fighting for its life. They were trying not to be subsumed mm. by Swedish Medical Center. Obviously, it didn't work, mm. but. Um, so they they within the department of obstetrics, they thought that if they had extended privileges to a group of licensed midwives in the community, it might um, increase their patient care, you know, load and and give them argument to keep their facility open. So mm-hmm. anyway, that was the that was their motivation, and they it was sort of they opened up privileging and then they closed it. It, The gate opened and then it closed. So I think there were maybe 10 or 12 Mm -hmm. LMs who got privileges Mm -hmm. during that period. It lasted for two years. It was a pilot. The data never saw the light of day. It was Mm -hmm. just it was not handled well and I'm not proud of not pushing on it and following up. And anyway,
0: So it was in some ways a missed opportunity to capture more of the greatness that was Part of having a model that would not, that would have that continuity of care at the yeah. hands of the midwife, yeah. but yeah. now right. in Jenny's in Jenny's approach, there the continuity of care is by the sharing of the records, and That's it's right. by and and it's by, yeah. and that has been met with a lot of success.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is another thing: is we need more, we need more people who get data. We we, do, we don't need more data, but we do need more data. You know, it's basically, we, yes and. Um, it does help to have stuff like that published in mainstream journals, I, I think, Absolutely. I still think. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it really does help. And it really is important to document what is. To document, again, that's part of the, the picture of the truth of the matter. It's part of the picture of capturing what it really looks like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and yeah, so that's part of it. Well, we're coming down to the last few minutes, and I want to make sure that you have full reign to say whatever it is you want about this political aspects of of your journey as a midwife.
1: You know, it's been it's been rich. I mean, i it's 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 sort of in my DNA. I mean, I didn't really mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't like a rational. Um, decision. I think I'm going to focus on public policy in my midwifery career. It's just what I was drawn to. And I just want to say, not everybody, as I said, I think in our first episode, not everyone is drawn to midwifery to be a public policy wonk. That's fine. We need, we need midwives in the community providing care. But we also need people who are going to do this work in the policy arena and also, we do need people who are going to be the professors of midwifery and the educators. And we definitely need people um, who, like my friend Tanya Kammack-Towell, who's an epidemiologist. I mean, she's a mm-hmm. she's a CPM. She has a master's in public health and she has a PhD in epidemiology. You know, so hey, <laughs> how about that? We need we need more Tanyas. Um, so. We need it all yes. to build a strong profession. That's what I'd say. <laughs>
0: yeah, we do. We need it. We need each other. We all we need, need each other. We need yeah. each other to to really show up and show forth our our gifts and our abilities, and to recognize and join hands with uh, other professionals, and mm-hmm. really for the overall benefit of. Of moms and families and Mm -hmm. and the community at large I so enjoy the perspective that you have for having again been a foremother of bringing this all forward and having a journey that was not laid out in your mind at all it was just what you were drawn to doing and It became more and recognizing that, yeah, you're retired, but you're not retired. You have the opportunity now to give expression to those things that you're listening to and to advocate for something different. The desire or that representation of you in this way has been so true to that first woman that started with the social justice issues that came to Seattle and ended up in a women's clinic, right? <laughs> right,
1: yeah. Yeah, who was, by the way, you know, like 22 years old at the time. So, right. you know, now I'm old, and um, but I still have that fire in my belly. I don't think one ever, that fire ever really goes out until you take your last breath. <laughs>
0: No, the fire doesn't go away and the capacity to use that fire to create the change, to put in place that which is at this moment a dream and a vision, Uh that capacity is always there as well. Yeah. So I, I applaud you for everything that you've already accomplished. I want to, of course, stay connected with the your finger on the pulse in in the directions that we're going and how to identify those up and coming people that are going to be able to join hands and build upon the shoulders and create things newly and we can be there to rejoice.
1: Yeah, it's the leaders.
0: Susie Myers, what a perfect way to end our episode right here on Midwife After Hours. Your powerful leadership calling forth the next generation. Thank you so much.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is your host,
0: Roxanne Spring, saying catch you in the air next Sunday at 11 a.m. for the next episode of Midwife After Hours.